those struggling with addiction need you to be here tomorrow as well as today. Thank you everyone for joining me here on the Recovery Executive Podcast. I am your host, Nick Jaworski, the owner of Circle Social Inc., a strategic consulting and marketing firm for addiction treatment and behavioral health. I'm excited to have Joe Pritchard on the show today. He is the CEO of Pinnacle Treatment Centers. And if you are familiar with Pinnacle Treatment Centers at all, you will know that they are a very successful provider, um, primarily uh, kind of starting on the East Coast, but then moving to the Midwest and other areas. And Joe has a very wide range of experience coming up, um, kind of starting off as, as a tech and then working his way up to CEO and also starting with a few small facilities and now having a large number of facilities across the country at different levels of care. So very, very excited to have him on and have him share his experience with us. One of the other things I really like about Joe is he's very focused on providing quality treatment that drives the success of the organization. And it reminds me a lot of the conversation that I had with John Wolf of Pyramid when he was on But these two leaders, both of them really look at quality clinical care and their mission as a core of what they do. And it affects the speed at which they can grow, but it creates long-term sustainable growth. And as long-term listeners know, this is one of my big soapboxes that I like to stand on is you can drive fast growth, but often crashes and burns if you don't have the core clinical and the core mission and that core service behind you to support it, because that's what drives your business forward, not fancy marketing or, you know, really good call centers. Um, That stuff is secondary to having a really good clinical program. So Joe shares a lot of experience around why that has, that approach has worked for Pinnacle so well. And I'm very, very happy that he's come on the show and is willing to share that experience with us. So let's listen to the conversation and all the great advice Joe has for us. Okay. Hey, Joe, I really appreciate you taking the time from your busy schedule here to come on the show. Um, do you just want to introduce yourself a little bit and tell everyone about Pinnacle? Sure. Thanks, uh, Nick. Uh, I'm Joe Pritchard. I'm the uh, Chief Executive Officer for Pinnacle Treatment Centers. Uh, personally, I, I've been in my own uh, personal uh, recovery journey for 45 years, very active in uh, 12-step recovery support. I've been in the uh, uh, business of substance use disorder treatment for uh, 42 years. I started uh, as a tech on the second shift of a social setting detox uh, in the Skid Row section of uh, Philadelphia. And and, uh, so I've been fully engaged in uh, all the the different levels of care and and most of the different provider categories that that um, you can think of I've worked for both uh, nonprofit profit grant generated programs to for-profit private private equity um, back organizations like pinnacle is today um, and uh, you know my my whole focus uh, of my career has been on uh, creating opportunities for folks who are afflicted with this illness and folks who uh, care about those afflicted with this illness to be able to receive the care that's needed uh, in whatever environment for however long uh, with whatever tool that is best for them. And so a lot of my work has been in uh, looking at what uh, what are the uh, opportunities to increase access to care, what seems to get in the way. Um, and what are the solutions for that so more more people get help? Oh, that's fantastic. I didn't realize that you started as a tech way back in the day. Um, can you talk a little bit about that journey? I mean, so how many how many locations or how many facilities um, does Pinnacle have now? 
So if, if you look at all of our different service lines, uh, including our sober houses and all the outpatient networks uh, supporting some of our residentials, uh, we have over 80 programs. And as of uh, yesterday, we treated uh, it was 17,763 folks yesterday. So uh, we were able to reach a lot of different folks in, in, uh, within our full uh, continuum of care. Wow. Can you talk a little bit about that journey going from tech to, you know, managing an organization the size of Pinnacle? Sure. So, you know, my, I, I got, I got sober in the military and when I came out of the military, I, I uh, went back to uh, school and, and uh, while I was in school, um, there was an opportunity. Um, somebody told me about an opportunity to do some work at, at uh, a program that was, really working with the indigent population, the guys and gals on the streets. Um, um, and um, I, I saw that as a, a real opportunity to see if this is something that I wanted to do uh, for work. Um, uh, I was taught very early on that my own personal recovery, uh, although could be beneficial in, in helping to model and, and, and represent what recovery is, that working in the field um, uh, needs to be totally separate from your own personal journey. And um, so I, it gave me a good opportunity to see, one, is this something that I could do um, and, and uh, could uh, continue to be passionate about. And it was a great learning experience because you, re- you, you were uh, meeting folks really at um, the lowest point of, of addiction, uh, where these folks were homeless, they had multiple medical needs, um, you know, they had no support system in place. They were living literally day to day, sometimes hour by hour. And so uh, a social setting detox does not have all the bells and whistles of a fully um, uh, a really functional licensed program with nurses and therapists and doctors. Uh, we brought these folks in, cleaned them up, uh, gave them a meal, tried to keep them stable and stay in the program. If they started to have physical complications, we, we had to get them down to the hospital. Uh, so it was really meeting people where they were at. And that's what drove my passion to uh, the challenges that folks have in getting care uh, is uh, sometimes uh, just uh, too difficult for them even to navigate. And um, I, I, I always uh, get concerned when you hear from individuals or communities uh, that um, people should know better or why can't they just stop. Getting sober is a very uh, a difficult, hard journey. And takes a full commitment, not just by the individual, but all those around them. And um, so, you know, that those beginning days for me really helped um, form my passion for removing obstacles. From there, you know, I continued in school. I got a job uh, at first as an intern at a residential program in Philadelphia. So it gave me the uh, now I was further into the treatment continuum where folks were coming in, spending 30 days in, in care. Um, I then went into an outpatient program where I uh, had my really first paid job as a clinician. Um, I got my certifications and credentials. Um, and um, a few years into that, I, I was afforded the opportunity to uh, take on some leadership um, in one of the programs. and in really managing the aftercare services. And that really got my interest in if, if, if I want to help create change in how we provide care and develop programs to, to really um, uh, be impactful, then I, I needed to uh, jump in and, and be one of the decision makers uh, that could do that. So I, I continued uh, going to school at night and, and, and just progressing. Um, I moved into a, a job in, uh, uh, again, in northeast Philadelphia, which was a, a long-term care uh, for addiction. Um, 
They wanted to move from a therapeutic community, which was more punitive in nature, to a a forward-thinking clinical model program, and we were able to convert that and increase services. And it, it really started to open my eyes up to all the different kinds of treatment modalities and how I found that um, although we're all treating the same illness, that there was many, many silos within our own industry, and there's still some today, uh, and a lot of judgments around what people felt uh, was appropriate treatment and what was not. And a lot of it came from their own personal journeys and not based on evidence. Um, And that really, really got me to think about the fact that um, if, if we're going to be true professionals and be able to provide the very best care, we have to create environments that it deploys all the evidence-supported tools out there so we meet people where they're at, where they think they should be at, and with the right environment and the right tools. And, and so my journey progressed uh, through that. And before coming to Pinnacle, I was offered a position with CRC, which is now part of Acadia. And that was on the ground floor when they were just getting into medication-assisted treatment services. And I was hired to really help integrate those services into their company. And so we, we, we deployed all the medications at the time, which was uh, really, at that point, methadone and then Suboxone and then eventually Vivitrol, first uh, when it was approved for alcoholism and then finally when it was approved for uh, opioid use disorder. But we, we were able to start to create a, a, a culture of, of meeting people where they're at with any tool that was appropriate um, and not uh, prevent those tools from being deployed uh, depending on what level of care you were in. So we, we fully integrated all the medication-supported services throughout um, a person's treatment continuum. So from detox to transitional living, if medications were necessary and appropriate for that person's care, they should be given and managed and should not be a de- detriment of that person moving through those continuums. Um, so we, we started that there, um, and then I was uh, able to come over to Pinnacle when it first started in Pittsburgh uh, with four clinics that primarily provided methadone services, and we, we started to build a platform uh, of which now you see today. So we had, uh, when I came on board, we had eight programs serving about 1,000 folks in two states, and now we're in six states, um, you know, over 80 programs treating over 17,000 folks. Wow. I mean, that's some really large growth. One of the things I wanted to touch on that you've brought up already is you do have a very wide range of services, right? So you have your OBOTs, you have your OTPs, and just so that everyone's on the same page, an OTP is generally <clears throat> um, an outpatient treatment center that provides primarily methadone. And then OBOT would be an office-based um, opioid treatment program that usually provides buprenorphine or naltrexone. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So we have, um, in, in our care continuum, we have residential detox. We have also ambulatory care detox. We have residential care, which can range from a week to, you know, uh, over a month. We have um, our outpatient or ambulatory care services, which include um, outpatient, intensive outpatient, and partial hospitalization programs. Uh, we have our opiate treatment programs, which now deploy all the medications within those uh, settings. Um, and then uh, we have uh, sober housing, which will provide uh, low-intensity overnight uh, housing support while somebody is in an ambulatory care setting. Um, and we have moved now, I, I believe, in generational um, integration uh, on our hub-and-spoke model. So. Uh, we, if you look at Ohio, for example, we're the largest provider in Ohio now. Four years ago, we had no services there. We came in, we saw a need, we worked with both the legislators, regulators, and payers to create a, 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 a care continuum that could meet their needs. And so today, we have residential programs, 
We have uh, our opiate treatment programs, our office-based ambulatory care programs, sober houses, and now the next generation of that uh, became when we were asked to come into a county to work within their court system, their adult probation. We put counselors and patient navigators right in the adult probation department. We work with the jail on folks who are needing detox and medication support, how to do that. We're now expanding our services um, within their network with outpatient and more ambulatory care. And our third generation now is we're getting ready to deploy services within a large health system. So we'll have everything from a a unit in a hospital to embedding uh, really a a care continuum through their primary care practices and uh, other components of that health system. So our belief is that not only should we provide it under our roof, but we should start embedding services under other stakeholders' uh, roofs. So they're, they're able to deploy those services uh, to people that are presenting, and it's making it less of a challenge for that person or that stakeholder to navigate getting that person into care because they either have it right there or they have a, a, a seamless alignment with us to move that person uh, very smoothly to the, to the appropriate care. That's fantastic. I mean, that's really one one of the reasons there are several that I wanted to have you on the show is that you are really working very hard to reduce the barriers to entry, right? Whatever point that people are at, whatever services they need or can afford, you guys have a, a model out there and a place that they can go, um, which is fantastic. And and uh, on the payer side, Nick, so we're, we're, we take Medicaid, we're an in-network provider with all the major commercial carriers in the states that we're in so again we try to remove the the uh both the environmental and the cost um uh hurdles that people have to go through you know we work with states we have grant sponsored uh programs that help um uh financially uh, you know uh, help with the care that people are given uh and then we align ourselves with other stakeholders that can provide more of the wraparound workforce development, housing, so other social agencies that can really, um, you know, provide uh, more care. I, I, it's critical for us to be able to again remove whatever it is that can get in the way. But the last thing I want to say is not only do we try to meet people where they're where they need to be at, we really try to meet them where they think they need to be at. Because sometimes people don't come, walk into treatment wanting what you have to offer, knowing or accepting what you believe is the right course of treatment. Um, and, and our belief is if we let them walk out the door, there's a better chance that they're going to die than come to the realization that, that we were right about what they need. So we try to meet them not only where we think they should be, but as importantly, where they will accept care at so we can at least start to engage them. You have all of these different programs, all of these different levels and styles of care. You know, I mean, when we go in and consult with programs, often they're trust trying to expand to the fourth facility or they're trying to add a detox onto their PHP program and they're struggling you know, with that. You have all this complexity built in to Pinnacle. Um, can you just talk a little bit about how, you, how you've managed that effectively? So it, it's... I think uh, we have learned uh, our management team is uh, it, it has very deep in, in, in institutional knowledge. You know, uh, our folks have all been operators or have worked in 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 different capacities in our field for for a very long time. And a lot of us have come out of organizations that have grew and to the point where um, you know my concern has always been that what we do, everything has to be focused. And, and, and we have this buy-in and support from the board level with our equity partner that everything is focused on patient care. If we do patient care right and we, we drive those services the way we need to and we, we take care of our staff and we engage staff, everything else follows. So. Our concern is that as we grow, just like other organizations, that span of control starts to get more and wider, 
And so that attention to detail, um, a lot of organizations try to do that attention to detail with the same number of people that they had when they were 25 locations and are now 50 locations. We, we try to drive resources and support. So that attention to detail, that management to ensure that we're in compliance, we're doing what we say we're supposed to do, we're licensed to do, doesn't lose uh, that, that focus and attention. So we add the layers of resources in that are necessary to make sure that the folks in the field that get up every morning to provide care to the folks that we take care of have the necessary resources that they need and that it should not take that manager 14 phone calls and three committee meetings to get what they need to treat their patients. So what do we have to do to make sure that at point of contact they can move quickly and and uh, uh, and stay focused on, on what they do? So we, we spend a lot of time doing that. We also have a lot of resources in the field that ensure that what we provide is of the highest quality and what we what we do uh, meets all regulatory and payer uh, requirements because um, uh, we we don't want to be building a house of cards and uh, so we do a lot of work to ensure that the infrastructure is in place the last thing that that i'll say is that we have worked very hard to have very well-defined consistent processes in place so if you walk into our facility in new jersey or one in Indiana, and it's the same type of, of program, uh, let's say it's residential, that we provide consistently the same type of care in those environments. So we can manage it effectively, and we can identify when there's a problem quickly and fix it. I think that's something that I'd love to kind of dive a little bit deeper into because it's probably one of the biggest challenges that we have when we're working with various clients as well is they don't understand the need for building those systems and processes. And maybe you can speak to the fact that you're talking about adding on layers of staff and making sure that you're maintaining the quality of the program as it grows. Well, that's also going to mean that you're going to make less, you know, from a margin standpoint or a revenue standpoint during that expansion phase, I think, which is something a lot of providers struggle with. So can you kind of speak to that point? Sure. I think, I think you have to, uh, we had to come to a, to a realization that um, the investments that you make today will reap benefits um, uh, for years to come from both a quality and uh, a level and also uh, financially allow you to be able to be solvent and profitable. So that means, and, and, and so I'll speak real quickly about our equity partner, Lending Capital. Lending Capital is out of Chicago. I picked them when we were going through our sales process, and I picked them for three reasons. One, they only do health care, uh, and, and they were in our space before in behavioral health years before, so they knew our space. Uh, they were the only ones that gave me a value statement and um, really what, what – um, their mission and, and values were as an organization, which was uh, they wanted to be um, stewards of the investment. They, their goal is to take organizations like ours, put the resources in to make us even a better organization. And they invested, and they tell their investors that for the first two years, we will probably invest far more than what the return will be. The margins won't be like they should, what you would normally expect. But their belief is that if we build a solid foundation, it will uh, provide better returns down the road and, more importantly, better quality. We have two board initiatives that we report on every month, and that is do we, uh, are we providing the best in care for our patients and how's our employee engagement? They truly believe that good patient care comes with good employee engagement. So we, we have always bought into the fact that um, you have to invest in your infrastructure to be able to, because quite honestly, Nick, if I do a better job at developing our staff and provide them with the resources, you're going to get better length of stays. You're going to get higher levels of care approvals. Uh, 
patients are going to stay engaged more. Uh, you know, all the things that that um, that start to prove better outcomes and results start to to play uh, to to come into play here. And as a result of that, you're, you're going to have a better business and and you're going to have better returns. So, uh, I think those investments are a good return on that in that investment through the results that we get in care. And you have to find, um, and, and there's a lot of companies, and look, I've been part of them. I, I've seen it happen. It's a natural thing. When when f- f- finances start to get stretched, the things that usually get cut first are the things that will keep you out of trouble and keep you uh, doing the right thing all the time. And so um, we always keep those things in the forefront because we, we know how important they are. I love your experience there and all your comments because it's the same thing that you know, I think often is, is not quite well understood in the field. I wish it was better, but you are providing clinical care, right? And that is the heart of the organization and that's the heart of the business success of the organization as well. You know, I've spoken to owners that have made statements such as, well, we're actually a marketing company, right? And we're good at marketing. And then we have this clinical product that we sell which is the absolute wrong way to look at it, and most of those guys are closed because of it. I mean, you got to understand why we're in, in, why we do what we do. We do what we do because we're trying to help people who are suffering from this illness. And we're, um, if you stay, my firm belief is that if you stay true to your mission, everything else will fall into place. Your investors will get a good return. Uh, your communities that you're in will have a good good program that they can hang their hat on. The regulators and legislators will have a good partner that can be at the table to help create uh, you know, good rules that make sense, that really do provide care. Um, and, 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 and again, with all that, ultimately, people are getting well. So, I, I mean, it, you know, in, in AA, it, in one of the traditions is, you know, our primary purpose. I think People have gotten into this field, unfortunately, because their primary purpose was to make money, and they saw that they could make money off the backs of the folks that we're trying to uh, take care of, and um, you know that 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 irritates me, and it just rips it rips at my uh, just just what I firmly believe in, and knowing my life and my recovery. Uh, but unfortunately, those folks will still be there, and these are the same folks that, you know, three months ago were selling property uh, to folks or vitamins to folks uh, via the telephone, and uh, uh, they're always going to be out there. So we need companies like ours, and there's other companies like ours out there and what you do to try to support organizations that need to stay true and, and uh, be the beacons for what we know is good care. Yeah, absolutely agreed. You know, even when programs are struggling, as a lot of them are these days, you know, I often tell them, I mean, you have to double down on your clinical, and they'll often want to cut that part of it. They're like, well, you know, it's expensive. We need to get patients in the door, and then we can build it back up. Well, no, you need to double down on the clinical, build a really strong reputation, and it's going to hurt for a while, right? You know, just like your growth expansion, when you focus on the quality, it'll hurt your margins. You're not going to make as much, but once that's established and you build that reputation in the right way, it eventually, you know, a year, maybe two years down the line, um, you just have to make sure you run lean operations to be able to survive through that. You will come out ahead as clearly, you know, you guys have. Yes. You're, so let's touch on that point a little bit. You know, you've got um, a strong partnership, and that comes from the quality of care that you're delivering with local communities, with legislators, with payers. Um, can you just kind of speak to some of those relationships and how they've sure, helped you grow? Sure, absolutely. So I, I think it's because of how we approach it. So we approach it two ways. One, we, we never go into a, a community, a state, or any any area uh, thinking we know what they need, we always go in with with the the belief that we we know what we do and we do an, enough of it in so many different ways that we're very comfortable in being able to provide a service. But we we can't just assume that we also then know what that community needs. So we we first start with the question, how can we be of help? You know, where where do you see 
what is working, what's not working, where are there the gaps? And we do, you know, we can do heat maps to determine populations and what we think are the needs. But we always sit down with that community or that state and say, here's what we're seeing. Is this true? Do, do, if, do, you, do you agree that you need these types of services in these locations? So we, we do that. We, we have an open dialogue. We also evaluate what are the regulations uh, that are in place or the bills that are being proposed and how will they support the initiative to develop and, and, and drive better care in, in, more, in, in more ways and, and what could prohibit. Um, and, and we try to get actively engaged from the beginning in being one of the thought leaders that they can come to and say, what do you think about this rule? We'd like them to be able to say, hey, we're thinking about developing a bill to create rules around this part of care. What do you think about that? What do you think we should do? That, that, that tells us that we've made an impact. So we do that. We sit down with payers. We sit down with uh, community leaderships and say, here's what we do and how we do it. How can we work with you? So we do a lot of work before we enter, even enter an area in developing uh, the necessary footings that we need to build a good foundation. When we moved into Ohio, for example, uh, we started with residential care. One of the areas that we knew was a big area of need was uh, because of the opioid epidemic, there was very limited resources to provide care. One of those reasons is because they had a rule on the books for years that said you, had, you could only be a nonprofit to uh, own and open an opiate treatment program. Well, as a result of that rule, they had up to two-year waiting lists in their programs. If you compare Pennsylvania to Ohio at the time, they were both within a million lives for population. Pennsylvania had over 80 OTPs. Ohio had 14, uh, one of which was a VA uh, OTP. So it was disproportionately just not where it needed to be compared to other states uh, that had the same population size and all. So we spent a year working with the legislators to have that uh, changed. And at the same time, we worked closely with the nonprofit associations, other stakeholders in the community to say, look, we're only here to help layer on more services, not to replace what you're already doing, just to help. And as a result of that, we were able to then lay, lay out the platform of, of care that was needed. The other thing that we did, we worked closely with that state and others to help create rules and, and firewalls so operators that aren't really there for the right reasons, that have had issues in other states, can't just walk across the border and come in. So we created rules like you have to be in good standing with the states that you're in and the payers that you work with for at least five years. You can't, you know, it, because your bad habits will come with you. And so we want to be an active partner with communities and stakeholders and states to, to also educate them on what is good practice and best practice and, and how do you create an environment that supports that and keeps uh, those that aren't doing that out. Uh, so that's how we do it. We're, we, we are consistently in front of, we meet with our payers all the time, we meet with the state regulators all the time and legislators. Another example is, you know, with the Affordable Care Act and the expanded dollars, there's been changes over the last couple of years with the waivers that have to be improved by, approved by CMS. Well, a lot of these states just know what they know. And so some of the states with the work requirements and other things didn't even realize that the very people they wanted to treat would be ruled out of Medicaid because they couldn't meet the standard. They're not working, they're not paying a premium and that maybe there needed to be a mechanism to give them an opportunity to get care, to be wavered from those requirements while they're in care, so then they could uh, uh, be able to sustain themselves and, and, and be in, uh, in adherence to what the rules are. 
So by being at the table, we were able to help architect that kind of language because they didn't even think about that. And, and they, they wouldn't think about it because they're not in our business. Um, we've been in front of, of legislators who wanted to create rules, and, and quite honestly, they had great intentions, but they would have had bad results with those intentions with the rules. So uh, that's what we do. And, and half of our growth, uh, Nick, has come from uh, once we're in the state, the state coming to us or other stakeholders saying, can you expand your services? Kentucky, 50%, we're the largest provider in Kentucky. We started with one 16-bed facility. We have five residentials, uh, eight sober houses, seven ambulatory care and opiate treatment programs. We treat thousands of folks every day. Half of that growth came from both the payer and the state coming to us saying, we have other needs in other parts of the state. Can you help us? I love how you guys have integrated into the community. I mean, it's just so important, and you're partnering with everyone around you. You know, is that something that you learned to do over time, or by the point you started working with Pinnacle, you kind of already had that approach down? Well, well, I, I'd like to say, you know, I, I, I'm, I, you know, I, I was able to have that much forward thinking that we should do this. Some of this came through pain. Um, and, you know, when you try to enter communities and you have the NIMBY not in my backyard and all the challenges, I've worked in organizations where they would come in in the still of the night and couldn't figure out why there was such community backlash that we, you know, through trial and error and seeing what worked and what didn't, what we realized that what worked is that if you have an open dialogue going in and work with those communities and partnering saying, okay, where where can we go and work together? You, you, you get better results. And, and really, quite honestly, it's better care for the patients because you don't have, because of the backlash, they, uh, the, those patients feel the effects of that. You know, they, they get stigmatized even more because of that. So, um, you know, it, it, it's come through trial and error and just uh, people having some basic common sense saying, you know, maybe if we get people on our side first, um, you know, there'll be more opportunity for people getting getting care. What I'm hearing, I think one of the key skill sets that sounds like you and your team have built is really patience, right? I mean, a lot of people, they yeah. want to come in under the cover of night and open up because they want to start driving revenue tomorrow, whereas you guys right. are taking the time to do the outlays, right? And build it the right way, which means you're going to have to wait for that revenue to start coming in. But it's clearly been a very successful model in the long term. Well, it's a deeper, it, it, it ties to a deeper um, commitment that, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at, again, we want to, we have a mission to provide a network of care and opportunities for people to get well. So that means that it has to be built on a real solid foundation that allows you to move through um, and, and, and create those things. So we, 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 we the patience is because we're, 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 this is all we do. This is all our mission is. And as a result, we, we want to create a treatment legacy that will uh, outlive my, my time in the business. And, you know, it, it goes on uh, to the next generation and the next. So, in, in order to do that, you got to have a foundation that will sustain that. So you guys have very clear values, um, but I know you guys are also doing a lot of acquisitions to fuel some of the expansion. What are you looking for when you um, look at uh, acquiring or working with a new partner? So you know, it, it's twofold for us from a from a from a a growth perspective. We we look at if there's uh, making an entry into a state, uh, in some areas we come in by uh, developing a de novo and we build it from the ground up. In other states, we start with an acquisition, and we're pretty agnostic about what we start with. If it's an outpatient or an inpatient, we look at where the need is. Some states, um, it just because of some of the regulatory uh, requirements, a certificate of need, um, or just moratoriums, uh, you, know, you, you, you end up acquiring someone so you can establish 
a, a, a base to build off, off of uh, to integrate your services. So, uh, you know, we look at that. The, the, other, the other thing that we do is we look at how we're going to partner. So we have some real clear standards, and that, that is we know who we are and what we do. And so there's a lot of programs out there that do variations of what we do. Uh, so they might only do residential or they might just do an ambulatory care or medication-assisted treatment. But the fundamentals are there that, you know, they're not an out-of-network, cash-only provider um, that generate most of their revenues, for example, from lab services. You know, they, they have to have some basic tenets of, hey, we provide care in this environment within a framework that's traditional that we can come in and maybe then uh, with our network and resources build upon and expand. Um, and, and they can even come from the standpoint of we only believe in one form of care, it's abstinence-based, it can include medication. We believe that it's our job to help, you know, there's many programs like that and that have moved from that to a more integrated model. Um, so it, it, as long as there's a, a basic uh, platform of care there that we feel we can build off of, um, uh, we're, we're going to look at them for an acquisition. If, uh, But it has to make sense, too. We're not just going to buy somebody to bulk up. We are we are not, and Linden is not in that business. And there's companies that do that, and that's fine. That's their business model. Um, we're not Pac-Man. We just don't buy whatever's in front of us. It has to, it has to be part of our value creation uh, plan, which uh, is what we've been talking about for uh, during this this um, uh, discussion. And and and. Um, so it, it has to fit with our model of growth and our model of care. And what are some risks that you um, would make you walk away or think twice about acquiring a new partner? It, 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 and, and we have walked away from a number of them. If we go in and see that most of their earnings are coming from labs, the reality is if you do what we do, labs are a very important part of your care, but they can't be the primary part of how you drive money. Um, if, if you've created a, a – and there's some very good what I call destination locations. They're good programs. They've been around for a long time. <laughs> but their model of care is that they drive their business from uh, thousands of miles away. We're, our model of care isn't built on that. We're a community-based, hub-and-spoke, integrated model of care. Ninety uh, percent of our folks come from a couple-hour drive ban for residential and 30, 45 minutes for outpatient. We get folks that come in from out of state, but it's usually because of a relationship we have with someone that has a need. Uh, but our model of care isn't built on driving our, our uh, admissions from states away. We, we build it from, from uh, you know, our platform in the community, and we want to service that community. So in, in a lot of cases, th that just, wouldn't be a, a someone that we would look at to acquire unless that model of care also has a foundation that we can build, um, you know, more of our community services. Um, but, you know, we, we try to keep it to, to what we do and how we do it. Uh, and, and so it has to fit that. We will not look at, at programs that just are fundamentally built on what you said earlier. You know, we're a marketing organization that, oh, by the way, we do treatment. Um, you know, we're, we're, that's just not us and what we do. Um, so we would stay clear of programs like that. You know, I think one of your successes actually comes from, you know, the localization where you guys have methodically expanded outward, you know, from the locations that you're already in. And I've been saying for a couple of years that the flyaway model is dying and it's very clearly dying as, you know, treatment centers continue to close left and right. I mean, we just had the watershed shut down last week. Yep. Um, Novus Detox just shut down last week. A couple other programs are shutting down shortly here. Um, because that flyaway is just it's not integrating the community. It's very hard to um, run and manage, I think. So could you maybe speak to the leadership end of running a more centralized or regionalized model um, and just how that operates differently from, you know, when you've got 
facilities across the entire country? So what we do, um, we do both a, a on the ground and central. It's a combo approach. So um, you know we have a 24-hour call center, but it, it it's driven primarily through our boots on the ground, community relations um, uh, activity. Um, we uh, you know any any SEO is just a for us a standard quote air cover for those folks who are in the community looking for what's available within their their state and their community and they go online to look we want to be there but we we are our focus is developing the relationships with the folks in the communities where people present for all kinds of reasons so healthcare facilities criminal justice social service agencies employee assistance programs you know private therapists people are coming in and and we want to be part of the, the fabric of care so that's where we we build ours you know I grew up uh, and and um, uh, you, you know I, I, I tell this sometimes with the Karen Foundation uh, the best man at my parents wedding was Dick Karen uh, my, my dad and Dick Karen came east together uh, I got some of the very first pictures of, of chit chat uh, before it even opened so you know, and they were around just like Hazleton, and they were natural destination locations because there were not many programs around. And over the years, they've had to adjust and adapt uh, based on on the changes um, that were going on. I was the executive director there during the years that managed care really started to make an impact on how we did care. And they they culturally had to make some changes from a quote, 28-day model to what what services could we provide within that reimbursement framework and and so they made some decisions later on uh, to really go in a different direction because they were holding uh, uh, firm with what they believed was their model of care and that that's a great thing so there are some great destination locations that were were created because that's all they had um, and so there's nothing wrong with that. But for us, it's building our network of, of relationships in those communities. And our 24-7 call center is, is there so when that community provider, emergency department, or whomever calls, they should get a live voice. And so our calls are being driven from the communities that we're in and not so much from states that we're not in and people are looking up an 800 number. Um, and not knowing really where they're going to live. Right. Is that difficult? So you guys just have the one call center, but you have all these levels of care. You know, is that kind of complicated for the team to identify what the right fit is for them and, you know, where to have them go? Or how, how is that process managed internally? No, in fact, in, in fact it, it's really because we have the full breadth of services. It's a lot easier because we, we they're – they're fully integrated into our network in all the states that we're in. So when that call comes in, that number's identified to that that community. So we know it's for Ohio. We know it's for New Jersey. And, and so um, that initial point of contact uh, will – and sometimes it's obvious they need to be in detox. They need a, a certain level of care. But when it's not – our goal is to get them in front of our, one of our care providers, and we can quickly then uh, do a further assessment and move them to the right level of care. So, you know, having the fuller continuum, we can meet them wherever they're at and move them uh, pretty quickly to the right, uh, right level of care. And what I think is great about having the regionalized model is, you know, you don't have to fly them across the country to go to the detox. You know, there's going to be one Correct. that's relatively local for them, which I think is yeah. better from a clinical perspective most of the time. Well, it, it gets them in care quickly. We have patient navigators that will help help navigate that person through the complexities of getting into care. We have people that, you know, if you're two hours away, within two hours, someone's picking you up and bringing you in, um, and and so you're getting care faster. 
Right. So you talked to this about this a little bit, but I kind of wanted to go back to you working with Linden Capital and you sought them out for very particular reasons. Um, do you have any advice for, well, first, why don't you tell us a little bit about why did you make the decision to seek outside capital? So uh, it, when Pinnacle started, they had outside capital. Uh, it was uh, with a, another private equity group in California. Um, and they were a very good group. They, they uh, allowed the company to build and grow. They did not put handcuffs on uh, what, you know, what they would allow and not. They, they understood they did not know what, how to do what we did. Uh, but their capital and their range of, of investment, we outgrew. And so in order for us to expand and really get deeper in our, our uh, growth initiatives, we needed to go to the next level of investors. And so we went out and had a very active process. <laughs> Linden was one of those groups. Um, I, I uh, was able to pick the group uh, that uh, we wanted to acquire us. And, and for the very reasons I gave you earlier is why I picked them. That does not mean that there weren't other groups that would have done a very good job as our partner. But for, for us, we just felt that there was that cultural connection um, and level of, of um, experience and knowledge of, of our industry that, that gave us comfort. Um, and there's a lot of organizations out there that are seeking outside capital. Um, and there's a lot of outside capital seeking to get into our industry. Um, and, you, you know, I, I guess for me, it was having a group that first wanted to build our value creation model. What is our mission? How do we stay true to our mission? How do we build a foundation that will support that mission? And uh, uh, how, what kind of value from both a, a, uh, a care as well as a financial perspective would be created. And um, so Linden was the right group for us. And historically, they have been known to be the group to go to to help create a, a deeper value for your organization. So they were right for us. There, there was, um, uh, you know, other groups that, that could have done those things um, uh, but it, it was just the right fit for us. And, and, and looking back, and it's been three years as of this past August, um, it, it, you know, I, I haven't thought twice about, and if I had to do it all over again, Lyndon would absolutely be the right partner for us. And they, and they prove it time and time again. I've never had a board call, a board meeting, or any act, interaction with a board member that didn't focus on are we doing the very best for our patients, and, and what environment are we creating for our staff? I've never been asked to cut or sacrifice care to make to make another dollar. Wow. You know, you have that very long-term view, and obviously Lyndon has it as well. You know, given that that's the case, would you ever consider going public at some time in the future? No, I, I, don't, I, I don't think, one, I don't think it would be necessary. Uh, I think it adds on layers of, of although there's uh, opportunities financial opportunities and other opportunities that there's there's layers of, of just requirements and expectations that um, we just don't need I mean at some point we uh, we will be beyond the the uh, investment strategy of a Linden um, and just like all equity groups they have their sweet spot and they grow and then they move on uh, but Linden has also been known I was very concerned about that to uh, make sure that, that what they help us build uh, when it g is handed off to the next group, that that group will really uh, be uh, tied to that long-term view that we've had. Um, so, um, you know, I think that's how it will go. There's always an opportunity for a strategic, meaning, a, a, you know, a, another group that does what we do to, to try to acquire us. Um, and, and I think some groups would be more suited to do that than others. Uh, historically, I've seen groups come in to do that that weren't fully in, 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 fully in line with 
substance use disorder treatment, more of a behavioral health network, and and uh, they go to their comfort zone. So they've dismantled those programs and put them up under their umbrellas. And and you know, I I think um, that that kind of dilutes what the mission should be. Um, but you know, again, there's still other groups out there that I think could fit. So uh, I think we'll go the route of a you know, at some point, another investment group uh, or strategic that is really compatible with our values and mission. So I think a question there as you guys are growing is, is that choice to seek the outside capital for growth just to help with the speed of the expansion, you know, based on rather than um, internal resources, it just makes sense, you know, in what you're seeing with market trends and opportunities? Yeah, I think both. Nick. Uh, so internally, we needed a, a, an investment group that was willing to invest in our foundation. Linden uh, invested millions of dollars in our infrastructure, uh, just building up uh, processes and systems and technology and people that, that could really make us a world-class organization. Um, and we also needed uh, the investment dollars that if we want to go in and, and build a network of care in a state uh, and do it in a way that really helps uh, become impactful, we need dollars to do that. Uh, but we needed an organization that is, uh, is, is value-driven and smart and will sit down and, and help us develop the strategy for that state and then identify the dollars that we all agree and believe are needed to fulfill that strategy and then you know, driving it to success. And then where, where we fall short, instead of just saying, well, we'll never do that again, we always have a conversation around lessons learned. You know, if we had to do this again or if we do it somewhere else, what can we do differently so we can be more impactful? Could you speak to one or two you know, really important lessons that you've learned building this organization? Yeah, I, uh, <coughs> the, the, uh, I think I've, I've learned three, three primary things. One, uh, always be true to your mission and uh, don't ever uh, um, uh, dilute that, 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 that mission. If, if, you're, if you're true to your mission, um, you're, you know, um, things will always uh, work the way they eventually will work the way they need to. Uh, be true uh, and, and, uh, and, and consistent with the culture that you create to drive that mission and, and build a, a team that clearly understands what that is and give them an environment to flourish and to drive, um, you know, to, to fulfill that, that mission by, by really embracing that culture. Um, and, and, the, and the last one is to really um, walk into uh, the states that we're in or the communities that we're going in with your eyes and ears wide open. Uh, understand uh, who you're working with, who you're trying to partner with, what their needs are, um, so you can get a clear view. That The only other piece to that would be uh, uh, be be very uh, dependent on data. Uh, you 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 know it's very important that you're forward thinking and you kind of know where things might land this year and three years from now. Uh, but a lot of that has to come from what you see in the rearview mirror and understanding you know how you got where you are and what will help you continue and what will stop you from from growing. So. Those are the things that I've learned. Fantastic. I mean, I think I, I'm so happy that you were able to come on and willing to take the time because, you know, you've really built things the right way and it's clearly worked so well for you and your partners. And I hope that all our listeners were able to um, take a lot of those seeds and, and hopefully apply them into their own organizations and facilities because it, it works. It's the right way to do it. And I love that focus on values. I love the focus on data. Um, on your end, if people want to reach out to you or, or just contact Pinnacle, what would be the best way to do that? 
Um, so, it, you know, PinnacleTreatment.com uh, is uh, our, our um, you know, you can get onto our website, and um, that website will uh, draw you to the links uh, on where whatever state that you might be in uh, and where you're looking for either a resource uh, to be able to, to refer folks for care or in, um, you need a resource just to be part of a network uh, to support your community. Um, you know, our, our website will clearly tell you who we are, what we do, where we do it, and how to connect with those um, uh, particular um, regions that, that we're in. Well, again, thank you so much for your time today, Joe. I really appreciate it. And to all our listeners, thank you for joining in, and we look forward to talking with you next time.